Podcast number 185. This week, my guest is Rich Pawson. And Rich Pawson has been on the podcast a bunch. Um, so just go to uh, any place where you can find my podcast and just type in Rich Pawson. You're going to see it come up. And Rich is a great guy. I love having him on the podcast. And uh, I'm glad he's on this one. But first, this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots. The official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast, and uh, man, I tell you what, Rich, there's uh, there's enough stuff going on in the world and enough stuff to muck through that a pair of a good solid waterproof boots would probably be a nice thing to have right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, man. So there is just. Uh, on the economic front across the world, there's all kinds of things happening. You got Brazil um, just in a, uh, a a lock here with China. It seems like they've been buying more and more stuff uh, from the Brazilians than, than anywhere else on the planet, and I feel like they've bought them about dry. I don't know that they can buy much more from them. Uh, that kind of leaves us to be uh, the next possible candidate to start buying some stuff from um, you also have China with the Hong Kong deal, and they're uh, kind of making the uh, making the parliamentary vote there that they are going to uh, basically rule Hong Kong the same way they rule the rest of China, which is significantly different than what they've had. It's going to have some social unrest there. So um, the Italian kind of market, the whole Eastern or Western European marketplace is uh, is under a lot of stress. So. The uh, the pandemic has done a really good job of, of putting a lot of stress on stuff and and I guess as you take a look around where are some of the hot spots you're paying attention to and and what are some of the ramifications you kind of see coming here short term and long term? Yeah, at least at least uh, as far as like internationally globally that can uh, if it can impact the U.S. or at least be a headwind for the U.S. As, as we work towards reopening economy and recovering here. Um, it's still the big names. Uh, you want to watch South Korea. You want to watch Hong Kong and China uh, and Japan. Over in Europe, yes, it's still Italy, South Africa. And then, of course, we've got problems with Brazil. And the interesting thing is with uh, Brazil is that uh, their debt is 80% of their GDP, and some economists are making a big deal about that they claim for uh, third-level nations, uh, or emerging nations, I should say, uh, that that's a dangerous level. Well, I don't know if I agree with that because I find nations around the world are well over 100%. I think what they're saying is uh, that, you know, a first-world nation, first-level, a more developed nation uh, probably could handle something over 100% better than, say, an emerging nation. Uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm kind of debating whether they're on the right track, but the point is, this is these are some of the things they're discussing throughout the banking system and Wall Street, uh, the overall business community, global traders in commodities, uh, that they just feel like this is a stressful level for them. And Brazil still has a lingering public pension problem. 
Uh, Bolsonaro has had complications trying to get things done the way he wants to do it, and the country's quite divided. And now you bring in the virus situation where Brazil is, what, the second now ranked in the world for mm -hmm. cases they've just shot right up. And their, and their attitude was just take a wait-and-see uh, strategy, and it's you can see it's, it's, it's getting them, and it's got foreigners investing in Brazil nervous that Brazil's just not on the right track politically, uh, business-wise, managing their nation, people-wise, society. And they've been pulling money up, and the Brazilian real has collapsed 30% against the, the U.S. dollar. And uh, a few minutes ago, I went ahead and checked the Brazilian real against China, Japan, South Korea, Europe. And you can just see the same same thing on the chart. So the world is basically dumping uh, Brazilian real, uh, or rei as some like to call it. Now, the thing is, we have to keep in mind that Brazil is like half of the South American economic output. So there's a reason investors are getting nervous is they're thinking you're really looking at the 800 pound gorilla right. in south america yeah and you've got problems there and that could be problems for all of south america and then they're looking at the global economy and it's been on shaky ground i mean my model is correctly called the the top in the global economy back in 2018 and for europe the eurozone all topped out in 2018 you can just see it's followed through trickled through and it's just making investors around the world and here in the u.s nervous you know, is, is Brazil the next one and South America? And then, as you mentioned, we still have problems over in Italy. And, you know, every other day I think they're fixing something. And then the other day, <laughs> days in between, I realize, no, they're not. If anything, they're making it worse. And then we have Turkey. We have South, Af uh, yeah, South Africa. So all these things can bring down the world economy. And I'm really thinking, I, I don't think the world economy is going to bottom uh, to next year. And it's quite possible the U.S. doesn't bottom next year. But that should be easily, at least the U.S. should bottom no later next year, whereas the world might even take a bit longer than that to, uh, to get its act together. Uh, another thing in Brazil, or the worries over Brazil, is they just got out of a deep recession. It was the worst recession in like 30 to 60 years and, and occurred back in 2014-2016. And interesting enough, you could see ripples around the world. I'm not saying Brazil caused it. I personally think a lot of countries were, were uh, kind of topping out in economies anyways. But you can even find macroeconomic data in this country and Asia and Europe uh, when we had what I call a secondary recession, at least here in the U.S., uh, that occurred in 2015, 2016. And you can see dips in commodities, and then you can see how we pulled up out of that. Commodities actually started pulling uh, up out of it as, as well. So it worked. But for Brazil, for one reason or another, it was, it was worse uh, than the rest of the world. And, and, yeah, they were just getting back on their feet. And, and now they're running into, into this, uh, this tremendous headwind. So um, they also are talking that the Brazil GDP is going to be minus 5%. Well, you can say U.S. is also <laughs> probably at minus 5%. So you also have to realize, at least for the U.S., that we kind of created this ourselves because we were trying to protect ourselves from the virus. We heard a recession. So it's not your typical recession and some statistics in the u.s are already saying we're in a depression for the first time in the 1930s well you need more statistics than that you need a, a longer period within those severe statistics to try to truly define a depression so I'm, not, I'm unwilling to say we're in a depression and even so it's just entirely different than what what we're used to um you know we have to treat it as a new new statistic to deal with uh, when it comes to figuring out where are these markets going and it's just because it was self-engineered. It, it was created because of this virus. 
and nobody could have predicted we had a virus coming. I, I even do cyclical research and viruses. Knew it was coming someday, but that kind of stuff doesn't tell you what here. Right. It was just yeah. simply saying it's gone on so long that it's obvious something's got to happen, but there was unfortunately no way of, of picking it. I'm going to try to work work on that more in the, in the future. But at any rate, yes, Brazil, you can see uh, China has come out and made comments that, that, you know, they don't see buying much from anyone uh, for the next several months here because they're working with Brazil. And that's kind of a seasonal thing. I think most of the cash global traders in these grains and oil seeds would say, well, we already knew that, you know. But the point is it was meant to make headlines <laughs> to wake up uh, U.S. traders and farmers, producers, whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, Brazil or uh, China doesn't really see see the need to do much but i'm saying seasonally they probably wouldn't have anyways but they're letting us know uh that the u.s is not the only store right so they're just right. letting us know this trade tension is still there and it's not getting any better in the last few weeks uh trump's saying he might go even at uh, china even harder now and then you could just see soybean markets went down the day they said that and then a few days later everybody calmed down they came back up and it's just this lingering lingering headwood so if we switch from Brazil, we've already said, okay, Brazil's got a real problem, probably even dragging down South America. We already know over in parts of Europe and into the Middle East we got problems, and then over into Asia. Well, if we switch to, to Asia, um, you can see South Korea has actually done a really good job, I think, of dealing with this virus. In fact, our daughter works over there, and uh, she was actually in Italy uh, just as the virus was starting to hit. I wasn't sure. My wife was over there, too. They weren't sure they were going to get out in time uh, to get back, and they got out just in time for it seriously hit over there, and they shut the, the country down. They both had to go into self-quarantine, and, uh, and then my uh, daughter gets out of self-quarantine, but she goes back to work. She works for school, and she goes there, and they said, well, you'll have to work here every day, but there won't be any students for months. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. But, uh, but she reports back how things are going, and she says, you know, the people are actually handling this fairly well, and they're trying to do business, and they're moving on. And she says, I'm really surprised uh, the way they're handling the, the cases, and everybody's got their mask, and they do their social distancing. And uh, it worked pretty good other than about a week or two. They started to have another scare. They were starting to open up. And right away, even my daughter said, yeah, there was a bar down the street. And the next thing you know, it's just loaded with people having a good time. And then two days later, there's people sick and they're dying. And, yeah. <laughs> and just, we're on lockdown now again, you know. And so we're going to have these issues probably of trying to get back to, back to business here in normal life a little too soon. But I, I fully understand why people are restless. But at the same time, I, I hope we don't uh, mess things up and have a serious uh, second wave. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm kind of intrigued with uh, South Korea. I don't really see too much on their, their import-exports. I mean, everybody's been hurt, so the numbers don't look good no matter where, where you look in the world. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel like things are going to crash and burn, at least with South Korea. And uh, Taiwan's got things fairly under control with the virus. Uh, I haven't really researched their economy or stock market as much, but I did see a semiconductor index out of Taiwan that a friend asked me to take a look at and really didn't see anything that's uh, saying, well, it's an end of the world scenario, it's going to crash and burn. Uh, but then you bring in Hong Kong. And, you know, what, it's gone on for a year or more now of issues in Hong Kong. Uh, and now, what, last week we get news that... Uh, 
China is going to come in with it comes in with a new security law, and like you misstated, you know, it just brings them in under the China um, wingspan, I guess you'd call it, or something yeah. under their control. And the whole idea when uh, Hong Kong started to, when uh, the uh, I can't think of the name of the uh, law or, or treaty that was done, and it went through, and Hong Kong became more independent. But they they weren't supposed to immediately come under China an entire rule. And, and you can just see that at least the young people over there, or if it is older people, then at least 50 or more percent of the population really is concerned of being under total control of China. And this is what the prior demonstrations were to try to make sure they weren't moving too fast in that direction, that they could have some independence. Now the security law, it must really shock them and really scare them that you know, they're going to be clamped down, they're going to be locked down on this. And now we have... Uh, the U.S., the White House, coming out saying uh, that we may have to uh, take off their, their uh, trade agreements, that uh, they were getting special treatment. And so if we do that, that's going to hurt Hong Kong, which isn't going to help our relations with them, and it's actually going to hurt their business. I'm sure it's meant to be a bit of protest to China. So we already have the U.S.-China thing going on and likely to escalate here in the next... 68s in my opinion, but then you'd have this Hong Kong suddenly escalate, so it's now a three-way thing on top of it, of U.S., China, and Hong Kong, and so, um, for my podcasters, uh, for my followers, subscribers, uh, we're working on a critical point, a, a signal alert coming up here in the next 60 days, and I can't tell you more than that, but I, uh, I've been looking at what are the fundamental drivers that's going to trigger that signal, and uh, boy, this, this China, Hong Kong, U.S., it's top of the list. Even though I realize the virus is still big, um, we're, we're back to the whole trade war business is number one, I think. Um, so commodity traders and the stock market have to keep an eye on that. And then, of course, we got unrest in our own country here over the weekend. Yeah. And the stock market started off uh, gap down tonight, and uh, it's it's been coming back, and uh, I think it's got a little more upside. But uh, like I say, I've got... I've got something in the works here, and it's making me nervous. The outcome's not going to be good, and uh, I think it's going to be uh, China, U.S., and, and Hong Kong's going to be the primary driver, even though there's plenty of other things. That's what's so crazy right now. It's very difficult to come up with a bullish list on, <laughs> on anything. You really are. Anybody's bullish, and I've, I've been bullish to start with. I made some money out of it, but I've pulled out quite a bit, and I'm just going to study it and watch it. But, you know, if you go futuristic and you say, well, at least the fire side and the closed economies, we're going to get through that. The whole world's going to get through, okay? And But how long would it take? What kind of structure? What's the pace? Um, and then when you set aside all that virus and economy issues, we still got this darn trade war issue. And, and the point is, the whole world was due for a recession anyways. The virus didn't really wholeheartedly or totally, entirely create the recession. We were on our way there anyways. The virus just brought it to us at a very fast pace yeah. and uh, far more extreme, right? So, so in other words, there were already underlying problems uh, throughout the world, which some of it can be blamed on trade war, but some of it was just pure business and consumerism. Uh, we were due for a setback anyways, and it was just... It's just interesting how it goes when things turn bad. It's like one thing after another, you know. It just rains when it pours, you know, it pours when it rains, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm going to run down my list here on some, I think, uh, well, at least in the, oh, to get back to Brazil uh, currency, because then I'll relate this to uh, the U.S. dollar in the world. 
Um, the Brazilian oil, of course, is 30% down. And at first I was concerned that this might be more U.S. kind of thing and maybe Europe because I understand it that as foreigners were pulling out, they wind up dumping Real and Real, as some people say. And the, yes, the Brazilian government or their central bank stepped in and they sold, from what I understand, like $23 billion in U.S. treasuries. On one hand, I feel like that's nothing. On the other hand, uh, that could be sizable for Brazil. I mean, headlines, Wall Street was willing to talk about it. So they dumped a bunch of U.S. treasuries to basically raise cash to support their own currency. Okay, So they were trying to defend themselves and trying to put up an image that, hey, foreigners are overreacting here. Uh, now, at the same time, if you then compare the Brazil real to, as I said a few moments ago, with some of the Asian countries, the Eurozone is a euro, and you can just see your, that the chart looks pretty much the same thing as, as with the uh, U.S. dollar. So it really is a global thing of, of pulling out of uh, Brazil. That they're, they're not pleased and concerned about, about the future. Now, you might think that's going to send even more uh, commodity business to Brazil as far as for their commodities and services. But the problem is when countries go into recessions, you also worry, well, am I going to get my commodities and where is my money and who am I doing business with? And it's just interesting. I don't, I don't know if Brazil will actually get that much more business but it's going to concern all the other global traders. So it still becomes, you know, instead of being bullish for us, that maybe the financial side will cause an increase of, uh, of the uh, importers to switch from Brazil to us, you, you won't really see that. It's, it's actually still a headwind for us. Um, so the lower, lower real won't necessarily help the Brazilian farmer down there as much as you think. I mean, if he's willing to sell, he's got, he's got the better better price in real he's ever had uh, based off currency but at the same time uh, I'm not so sure we're going to see a dramatic increase of business and if it does then you know we're basically US is going to pick up business from someplace else that lost it to, to China to begin with you know um, to me I'm more worried with the US of being uh, just the overall global and US economy is holding us back on, on commodity demand here frankly and not so much on that currency side. Um, but it certainly makes great headlines of what's, what's going on in, in the currency. So now what I'm trying to figure out is the U.S. dollar, what is the long-term point of view that we should have, or I should have at least. And I, I strongly believe the U.S. dollar index is going to put a top in by next year. I've had an alternate forecast I've worked for the last two years trying to pick this top, especially as of last year. And I've had two strikes. I just made a third call. So if, if the dollar were to rally uh, to a new high for this year, that'll be strike three, and that forecast will be thrown out. The model will even throw it out on its own. And it's basically just going to say expect the dollar remains strong in the next year. And I'm now actually favoring that forecast personally that uh, we're probably stuck with sideways to higher in the dollar into next year. And it's just because of all this upheaval around the world is actually creating demand for dollars. And you have to remember, most people do business around the world in dollars anyway. Right. Yeah. So even if they're not as happy with this as in prior generations of Americans <laughs> or anyone in the world, um, yeah. and that's definitely a, an issue. Uh, at the same time, they still use the dollar, and if they get antsy, they're, they're going to try to make sure they keep dollars, especially if they get nervous over their own country. They're going to say, well, I'd like some dollars and gold underneath my bed. So, yeah. so 
Um, so I'm hoping that's going to keep the strength up there, whereas this would be the perfect opportunity as we start rebuilding the economy, open economy. It would have been nice to, to actually see some weakness in dollar. It would help support our exports and give us a boom. And, and I still say, unlike many economists, I, uh, I say a lower dollar actually is, is good for the world. That it's, I realize everybody has to take their turns. It's always always been stated, well, you got to let uh, the U.S. win for a few years, and then you let the other countries win for a few years, and it circulates around. I don't know. I, I look back like 40 years, 50 years of history, and it just feels like to me keeping the dollar a little bit soft. I'm not talking really weak, because that, that can create other kinds of problems or be a sign of more serious underlying problems. But a soft dollar, it's, it's just interesting. It, it doesn't mean we totally beat out those other countries. They tend to do well, you know. So I'm kind of a soft dollar fan myself, but I'm afraid I'm not going to get it a while yet. Now, I do think it's high probability. It's at least over 70%, if not knocking on the door, 90% probability. We'll see a lower dollar in 2022 to 2024. So for anybody on the commodity side saying, boy, we've got to get me really need that lower dollar. Unfortunately, we might be stuck with as like a stable to higher dollar uh, into next uh, next year, but like I say, uh, over the next few year weeks here, I'm going to actually be reviewing all of my uh, dollar modeling and see uh, see if we come up with anything different. Um, but I'm I'm concerned that we're going to have these elevated levels in the dollar for a while. Okay, so it's you probably, yeah, probably just a function of trying to get this global economy back on its feet as well. That it's not just us, you know. Yep. Okay, so you've talked about. Um, in, the, in 2019, when, when you were on quite a bit, and the last couple of times here, this time, and, and the previous time here of, here of late, um, you've talked about a recession and what that looked like, and you didn't expect it to be too much of a too much of a recession. We flirted with that um, verge of recession thing quite a bit. Um, it, it almost feels like that every chance that the the stock market really takes a, a downturn. Um, there's so, someone pump, you know, like the government's pumping money into it, or programs come up, things like that pop up. I guess with all this money coming in to the economy, that's just you know printed money, or it's just you know digital money, or whatever it is that's coming in here. This last six billion dollars that got pumped in here, plus the other second third tranches of that stuff that come through i guess what's your thought on inflation and and where do you see that coming in how does that stack up to what you see happening um okay. with the u.s economy versus like a brazil and and how that's going to soften the u.s dollar like you just talked about yeah i think uh and this is i'm highly confident of this and it's a high probability as far as <clears throat> assessing what the model is doing uh, I think you're going to see a bottom in interest rates this year or next, and it's the end of a 40-year bear market interest rates. I think interest rates uh, will rise all the way into the end of the 2030s. Now, I don't think interest rates are going to rise as well as some of the prior super cycles and during prior generations. Uh, I'm not, by no means, my forecast to return like 10% interest rates, and even on the 10-year note or anything like that. Uh, could happen, however. And because we're printing so much, we don't know what else could blow up. But I just see a modest rise, maybe with a surge in some volatility in the 2030s, but a modest rise this decade in interest rates. Now, coinciding with that, 
I think you'll see a modest rise in inflation. Now, inflation should have bottomed in 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession, but I don't have, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like speckling where inflation is right now, and I'm watching some of the government numbers, and I prefer to get an annual number from a variety of sources and, and pick out what I think is the best number, and I plug that in to this long-term analysis. If by chance, um, inflation this year is lower than what it was in 2008, 2009, and some of our economic statistics are so poor right now because we've shut our economy down, it is possible. It's interesting, the model saying this is really just the latest, you know, last opportunity to put in a super cycle bottom. So that conclusion doesn't matter uh, whether it makes a new low this year or next or not. Uh, basically, the there's more upside inflation and more years of upside. It should uh, basically trend right along with interest rates on into the late 2030s. And I've researched this back even centuries uh, using European and U.S. Uh, countries. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, North American and South American countries, but primarily U.S., and it's interesting that uh, there is a pattern which I call the inflation cycle, and within it you have inflation and then you have disinflation. And they're in, inside the inflation trend, early is good, late is bad. And you can actually, if you want to know when did this last occur, it was 1950s into the 1970s, even in the early 1980s. And then you can see we killed inflation. And it's a good thing we did it because the late inflation, if it's unchecked, can uh, turn into hyperinflation, and then you have a depression. Your country basically self-destructs. I, I call it burning up. The, the economy is too hot from too hot of inflation. Now, you then begin a disinflation trend, and early is good. It's pretty much what we went through in the 80s, 90s, a little bit of the 2000s. But in the 2000s, we went into late inflation. And late inflation is, or I'm sorry, disinflation. Late disinflation is bad. If you have the risk of turning into deflation, which means we produce way too much, everything gets dirt cheap, we have a recession that turns into a depression, so everybody's working cheaper or simply has lost their job, so things have to get still cheaper to try to balance things. And it's just another form of self-destruction, but I call it something cold. It's like, you know, we got a pneumonia <laughs> type right, yeah. scenario. I have a severe cold and going to have a cataract arrest from it or something. So I think um, I think that's why Ben Bernanke showed up. I think the Federal Reserve knew the system was burning out. They had to be prepared. They were ready for an unstable financial situation. And so Ben Bernanke gets the job. And, load, and it's interesting. He was on a job a year before the Great Recession hit. And he said everything looks fine. And a year later, we're in the Great Recession. And there's no doubt in my mind that if we had done nothing, we would have had a 70-90% drop in the stock market and uh, probably would have had uh, unemployment over 20%. Some people say we were there anyways, and they just didn't tell us. But um, it still wouldn't, ideally would not have been as severe as the Great Depression, but it would have been very close. And I correctly forecast that the model would be off in forecasting 70-90%. It was going to be a 40-60% to 60 drop. Uh, in the stock market, and it turned out to be a 55% drop, and it worked. And, and the reason was, is I related anything and everything I could to these business cycle models. I could see the engine, the machine had changed over time, and if anybody could keep it from being severe, it was the U.S. And lo and behold, we did the best job anybody in the, in the world. may not agree how we did it, <laughs> with all the bailouts and the rich right. got richer from it, but it, it worked. The, the stock market did not fall apart, and, and Ben Bernanke's primary goal 
wasn't the great jobs, even though that was part of the mandate. His primary goal was to make sure she saved the financial system so we can get up tomorrow and go do business, okay? And that's what he learned in the Great Depression. There was suddenly just no money, okay? You couldn't do anything. He made sure the money money was there. So, like I say, it worked, but I fully understand the arguments of do we need a different system or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, to me, I, I, I overlaid it and I said, my gosh, you know, this whole inflation cycle, which has nothing to do with the business cycle, well, it's its own separate thing. I said, I can find these business cycles to match to that. And because this inflation cycle, I'm not so sure you can pick the year and I'm not so sure do we know, are these trends going to last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? It's, it, they're a bit they are highly variable, but you can see this general uh, fluctuation that it's either inflation or disinflation or nothing else, but just have to remember they can end badly at the end of those trends on, on those turning points or reversals. Um, but as I take that inflation cycle, it aligns perfectly with what I'm doing in the business cycle model saying it's time to turn to inflation. So now getting to more of what most people would probably understand and find the most interesting is really that we printed an awful lot of money, and what have we learned throughout our lifetimes? The money you print, there's a good chance of creating inflation. Now, here's the thing. We should have had higher levels of inflations in, in past decades when you look at the amount of money printed, and yet here the business cycle model is saying, no, it's not going to work that way. And it was right. It didn't work that way. We printed, we've been printing money, it seems like, forever. Why then from 1980 to now that the... Uh, rate of change of nominal GDP per capita, or it's just another way of looking at GDP. Why is that slowed from 1980 now if we're more pro-business than ever, more pro-capitalist than ever, we've got lower interest rates, we've got more money than ever. Why can't we have a glorious economy here, you know? Why isn't it a great economy? And it's just not there. You can see it. We just really have slowed. Well, I think part of the reason is a lot of that money printed just seems to bypass the middle class poor, bypass small business, and go straight to the rich, goes to the bankers, go to the Wall Street. Now, on the bankers, obviously, they're, they're making loans to small business, so it's there, but I don't think it's quite as efficient. And a lot of these bankers, they trade proprietary money. They trade for their own bank. They trade, it used to be, they traded just currencies, and most of, most of the currency trade is just pure speculation. It's just trading. But the interesting thing is that over time, especially going back 1980s, 90s, even under Greenspan, they deregulated the banks enough to so they can trade stocks, they could trade commodities. I mean, some of that stuff since the financial crisis has changed. They've been, been uh, they tighten things up to where the banks can't do anything and everything they want. But I just think a lot of money just gets churning in these markets, doesn't really come out there to do anything for the middle class and poor, and I think that holds back inflation. So what I'm wondering, if I'm going to be right on this forecast of a pickup of inflation and it relates to printing so much money, are we finally doing something where that money has to flow into the greater portion of the population and more small business and consumers, or actually is something coming down the road politically here this decade where we are going to change some things to, uh, to help with this inequality? I, I don't know what the final story is. That's what kind of drives me nuts with these business cycles is you can actually forecast the direction of the fundamentals and the economy without knowing the true story. <laughs> and you feel like, well, I could write a book and look like a genius if I could just get all the details. You know? right. yep. But it's just interesting. It's always a different story. There's something new to it. But in the end, it's still the same economic fluctuation. You still get the same commodities prices in terms of how they fluctuate. And I often say the reason is 
especially prices, they can only do one of two things. They're up or down. So you can keep changing the story all you want. They're still going to go up or down. <laughs> and, and commodities usually are range-bound, so they're only going up so much and they're only going down so much. Right? Uh, so I, I personally get it, but it, it is difficult to, to come up with a far more detail. This is the exact story to watch in the next 20 years or something like that. But I, I'm convinced we're going to see the higher inflation. I think uh, now the, 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 why I want to start reviewing the dollar here is if the interest rates are going higher in the next 20 years, that would normally support the dollar. But if inflation's going higher in the next 20 years, that would normally lower the dollar. So I went back and looked in the 1950s, 1970s, which is, gets a little uh, touchy here because some countries didn't have currencies, and then you have to you have to break the eurozone back down to the individual countries, see how things are going. It looks like to me the dollar actually was able to rise, but we still had rising commodities, rising real estate, People had more uh, more money in their paychecks. They were getting paid more. Stock market went up. Didn't go up as great as today, but it went up. And they were getting more money on their CDs and savings accounts because the interest rate was rising. So you can get all these things to kind of go along at the same time. Whereas if you look from 1980s now, they were more broken up and the stock market kind of stole all the thunder. All the money went to the stock market. Shouldn't, or most of the money looks like to me. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so to me, I think we've got a turning point. Maybe the stock market doesn't perform quite as well in the next 20 years, but I'm still a young whole bull. I think there's a lot of money to be made out of the stock market. Um, but nevertheless, it might cool it, cool it a little bit, you know, temper it a little bit. And then we pick up where the middle class and poor, for some reason, has a little more money to spend. And that's where it's going to help help commodities over time. But as a commodity producer, you're also going to see your cost rise. So, you know, it's never easy. So you're, <laughs> it's never, right. never a clear win. But, right. um, but I'm kind of encouraged of that forecast. And, boy, this amount of money that's been printed lately. Uh, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. And it's still pro- but I can remember back, I think I was only like 8, 12 years old, something like that. My dad, he was always talking business. And he run my dad on several farms and uh, real estate business. And he had a battery trucking business. And, all. and uh, so he was really into talking business, you know. And he'd be talking with his buddies and they would be saying, uh, printing too much money, the country would be destroyed in just a few years. And, and I was always the contrarian of the family. I'd just take the opposite side no matter what. So I'd say, no, nah, there's, there's no magical number. And, of course, they'd say, you're just a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'd go to college and go to economics and business school, and I'd go back to the farm. And I don't know, I've said for 40 years now, we haven't printed enough money yet. Nobody knows what that magic number is that's going to put us under, you know. And here we are. We're printing more. Is this the magic number? I don't know, but I can tell you nobody else knows because yeah. I watched them, and they've been wrong and wrong and wrong. And uh, I don't know what the answer is. You would think someday, yes, we've, we've got to print too much. And that's what I'm wondering in the late 2030s, early 2040s. Uh, for five years now, I've told people that's probably going to be my mother of all cell signals here. I, I think maybe, it, let's put it this way, if it's because of too much debt, too much money printing, that's when it's going to strike. But I'm not convinced that's the story. I, I'm more concerned that something else that starts it, then we just simply have too much debt and it, and it makes it worse. But wouldn't that be a ripple effect, the, the too much debt side of it? I mean, yeah. your theory that you've got is, is the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. The theory of, you know, the reason that we haven't seen inflation yet is because basically it, it hasn't hit the market yet, right? It's been someone's, right. it's been stockpiled someplace else and they're loaning it out a little bit at a time and those kind of things. And I'm really wondering now, maybe, maybe we've hit a, 
even if even if we couldn't do anything uh, as a society uh, and as a political side of trying to boost the middle class and poor, that would then translate to to um, higher inflation. Is it just possible to just flat out print it enough? You know, I mean, if you keep if you take a reservoir and you just keep pouring water, and eventually you're going to overflow yeah. the dam if you can increase at a fast enough pace, right? Right. And yeah. is it finally going to work that way, where we really don't have change in the system? Finally, it's going to break loose and, and we get more money in. But I, I really am concerned. There's just too much money. Uh, you know, if I'm a rich person, and, I, and I've had conversations with a few billionaires, billionaires in my lifetime, and I just it's most of them generally agree with me. If if you get a huge sum of money, pretty soon there's so many so many factories you can build. There's only so many farms you're going to buy. There's only so many people you can employ. Eventually, you can't help the economy. And right. I. I think we've achieved that, you know. Well, where do you go with your money? And you want to keep your money safe. Well, the answer is you want your money to be liquid. So you put your money someplace where you can get at it really fast. So this is why it just keeps pouring into U.S. treasuries and bonds when they're not making any interest rate. I mean, right. if the U.S. goes to a negative rate like Europe, that means you're paying the government to take your money or paying the treasury, right? Right, right. And yeah. And, and, and that's insane to me, but it's, you know, it's been done around the world. It's been going on for a while now. And it just tells you how, how much money people have, and they want to put it someplace where they think it's safe, they're going to get it back, even if there's a cost to it, at least get most of it back. And I think that's what I think. Well, then they also put money in the stock market, it, and, and it used to go into commodities, right? The moment it's died out, and I'm thinking that may be coming back here soon. But, you know, the point is, that's just being traded around in markets. I'm not so sure it creates jobs. It's just money flowing around and, and trading, and somebody, you know, they're making a profit. But if they never pull that profit out, then all you're doing is, they're almost like creating their own printing press. I wish, wish I had one. I sometimes think I'm the only one without a printing press. But I, you know, you can just see how they're building more and more wealth on the books, and it's not really coming into our economy. And I, I'm really getting concerned about this. It, it's probably going to be one of the driving factors here in the next 20 years if we don't fix some things. And I just wonder, I, I realize some people are fearful of inflation because it is a high cost. And the older I get, so I, I, in my younger days, I used to say, I don't care about inflation. I can make money. I'll buy gold. I'll, I'll buy corn. <laughs> and uh, so keep the inflation high. I don't care. Well, you know, the older you get, pretty soon you say, well, gee whiz, I sure would appreciate a zero inflation because it means my retirement money is going to buy me what I thought it was going to buy me, you know? Yeah. And I get I get that part, but at the same time, I come to the conclusion, yeah, but if you don't give other types of people in your economy a break, and the and only break they may get may show up in these inflation times. So my gut feeling is this inflation thing could work, whereas I was starting to wonder, uh, but now with the amount of money printing, I fully get it. And I, I'm seeing seeing a few of these billionaire hedge fund traders now saying they're actually hedging for inflation. They hadn't done it in a while. Some of them are doing it through bonds, but some of them are saying they got gold. And uh, some of them are now had been against Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies. They're now going to buy a small amount. Now, a lot of things, one said 1% of his portfolio would be in Bitcoin eventually, and but his idea is, hey, if Bitcoin ever did double, triple, quadruple, like everybody said, uh, that means two, three percent going on all his money and his funds and his personal wealth. Well, heck, that's going to you know wipe out half of the rise inflation probably. Right. So I get it. He doesn't. He doesn't really need to put much in to get a nice little, nice little inflation. But the point is, you know, and, and even one of them said. Uh, 
know, he's not a big uh, fund manager. I don't know he has $10 billion. He's under management, but he's worth $6 billion on his own. And he just said, uh, what, what's been done by the Treasury and the Federal Reserve right now is like bringing a nuclear bomb to the, to the war. Uh, that's how he felt, how much money they printed. Yeah. And, and then think of the consumer. I, uh, gosh, I wish I wrote the number. I was looking at a chart here just uh, this afternoon. Um, the savings uh, in the U.S. by the average citizen is just soared. I want to say it's record, but I, I better be careful of that because unfortunately I didn't write the number down and I want to make sure I didn't. Uh, I might have only seen a piece of the chart, but all I can tell you, it was right straight up and it makes perfect sense if you're going to shut the economy down you can't go anywhere you can't spend anything uh, except online and you're scared you're nervous of your job your future what do you do any money you get uh beyond your just standard living expenses you're going to salt it away and now that's good news for the economy down the road because eventually they're going to pull it out and spend it and the middle class and poor prefers to spend rather than put it in the stock market <laughs> so so there's some good news coming down once we can get our feet back to uh, on solid ground here um and that can perk up some inflation okay right. that that would be what i call short-term inflation they right. kind of get a pickup and then it, and then we kind of settle down calm down uh but the point is uh, there's going to be some money ready to be spent on things here eventually so what do you what do you so we're talking about this print money thing and it's not exclusive to the u.s i mean the eu's done it in any any country in the world is is like you said 80 plus percent of its gdp wrapped up there so i mean really the uh, the entire world has a they're paying credit cards with credit cards so i guess yeah. what's your i mean the overall world economy i mean I mean, at some point, when everybody's in the same mess, does it really matter? <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> and I think that's what's coming here in about 20 years, maybe a little less. Uh, right. This super cycle that we're finally going to get to a point where we just say, you know what? It doesn't matter if this system we've been on for 50 to 100 years works. Right. We're just sick and tired. <laughs> right. <laughs> we want something different. And, and then, of course, it's just, you know, there's valid... Um, analysis, research done by people that have warned us for years that uh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to work someday. It can't work, you know. And, and, and I will say, my conclusion after 40 years of studying all kinds of economic platforms and then studying what uh, years ago I used to try to keep track of 30 commodity markets advising people every day and what those markets were doing. And I can tell you when it comes to economic platforms, <clears throat> nothing works, okay? Everything burns out. And there's always someone left behind. And if you're not wise enough to take care of that, someone help them out a bit, pretty soon it becomes a nag on your economy and then things get out of alignment. It's just, it's, it's, it literally is like a combine or some other machine right. uh, where things, something's not working quite right in it and you're not going to get top performance. Well, if it's not taken care of someday, it just breaks down, right? Uh, yeah. And it might be a minor breakdown. Okay, it's in the shop for a couple of days, no big deal. It might be a major breakdown where you say, well, i got to go out and get a brand new combine. <laughs> We're right. done. And yeah. that's what's got me a little nervous by the late 2030s. We're going to be on the cusp of, uh, hey, <laughs> we need an entirely new uh, combine. And in the meantime, I'd rather keep learning and trying different things. And that's what I get upset on the political side, both left and right. It's like, gee whiz, uh, can we get some fresh new ideas here and, and tweak? And don't be afraid to tweak it. It's kind of like we're afraid to truly try uh, new things. And the whole world's going to wake up 
to this because they pretty much followed us over the past hundred years and just print, print, print. And a lot of them are, are far more in a dangerous situation than, than we are. Okay, uh, at least at least we have the backing of the world still wants to use our dollar. And, you know, the day they walk away from using our dollar, <laughs> we got a problem. Right. Um, and at least we've got that going for us, whereas a lot of countries, they're, they're up and down in the popularity of their currencies and how they use them. So I think, um, you know, right at the moment, I'm actually optimistic bullish here, but I think, uh, you know, I do see problems down the road 20 years from now. I fully understand why some think, you know, the great crash is coming any moment now. <laughs> I see the statistics there, but I think we're probably going to keep this machine uh, moving along here a while yet. And, uh, and now I'm just thinking we got a little bit of a different twist. Uh, boy, for some of these youngsters investing in the stock market and starting out on farms, just getting their, uh, cutting their teeth in farming and producing commodities and whatnot, uh, you know, they, uh, they haven't seen inflation times. Right. They have. It was when I was a child and they didn't even know what it was, you know. Yep. Um, I do, but I don't want to scare anybody on inflation. I really think the way the machine's working here, it is going to, I just don't see super high inflation, at least in this country. But eventually, maybe some variety of other countries blow up, and it comes back and gets us too. You know, like I say, in twenty years, I'm more than willing to paint a dark scenario. But <laughs> for the moment, I'm trying to be an optimist and saying, right. "Bob, we yeah. got a different kind of bull market coming this decade. It's just going to get started, and it's time to get the interest rates up a little bit and uh, and perk up inflation." And I think if we're going to be in the early inflation phase. And I think it's going to be generally good uh, for the middle class poor, not so much for the rich. And, of course, we could increase taxes on the rich while we do that. That's been part of the history behind this. Um, but I think uh, there's a reason to be uh, somewhat optimistic and do some business here. But, uh, like I say, we still got to slug through this recession we're in right now. Yep. And, uh, and it could, something could go wrong. That we're not going to bottom out to next year in the recession. But I think we're going to bottom out the fourth quarter of this year, first quarter next and but the rest of the world might drag on longer and especially in the commodity industry i think we really need the global economy get back on its feet get going that um, just just the u.s leading the way isn't isn't enough to really get that demand singing for us and firm up these commodity prices so so i'm a little bit uh, boy I, I keep getting emails and comments all the time when are you going to get really pulled up on commodities come on we need a break here and uh, I'm a little nervous. We got some sluggish times for the rest of this year, and uh, if we get good crops, that makes it that much worse. Yeah, but I think a turn turns coming. I'm, I'm I'm willing to be an optimist. I just don't uh, see it today here. You know, we still got to deal through this and, and work through it. But I like this inflation scenario uh, more than I have in a while, and I, and I with others saying it's primarily because boy, we printed a lot of money here. Now it's just a matter, does it actually go somewhere? Because I really am concerned somehow or another it gets clogged up in the... The way the economy works is the way you print, you print your money and you pump it out, and it's just like going down many highways and roads and streets. And You know, you look at a map, you can see you started out with one big highway, and the next thing you know, you're looking at 100 different streets as you break it out in town. And just think of each one of those streets as some kind of business, some kind of consumer, somebody going home with a paycheck. Well, how many times do we block off streets either because of an accident or a disaster or it was just because we needed to do construction and had to make some changes? Well, that assumes everybody somewhere else, which might create good times for someone else. It might create not so good times. Well, that's really where we're at right now. we got a bit of a problem here where they keep printing money, but we're not seeing that uh, 
they also call it pushing on a string you know yeah. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a good analogy it's yeah. uh, oh boy this time around I'll say one thing the Fed <laughs> the Fed they, they must have quickly said this could turn into a complete shutdown of your economy and that's you know and they just said throw everything you've got at it so yeah uh, and looking at the stock market they've, they've won for the moment maybe something else can sideways and go away but uh, there's more than just the stock market and the bankers and the rich. You know, most of this country is middle class poor. They're consumers. They're small business people. And they're hurting. Yeah. But uh, knock on wood, though, it's, it's going to turn and they're going to get going. All right, Rich. Uh, good stuff as usual there. Why don't you give folks a little insight on what your Critical Point podcast is about? Okay. So the Critical Point podcast is um, provides analysis, models, alerts, signals, even my personal opinion on various markets like grains, oil seeds, maybe a little livestock and a little bit of the New York softs markets. Uh, we do a little interest rates from time to time and a lot of discussion like we just had and when we get into inflation, we get into economies. Uh, and then a lot of uh, stock markets, specifically U.S., I have some really good performances going on here from uh, all the way back from the 2010. I rode the uh, stock market bull market very well. So stock market and a select group of commodities plus economy. And starting next year, I'm going to be looking for weather risk. So I'm also going to put my own personal slant on uh, cyclical climate events and risk to crops. And you can find it at criticalpointpodbean.com. And there's a free trial as well as just lots of free things and old uh, samples and whatnot to get a feel for it. But I think um, people will find it, regardless if they're interested in short term, they're really long term in the markets. They're just interested in the overall economy of uh, commodities, stock market, that kind of thing. Right on. Okay, and if folks wanted to reach out to you and just ask you some questions about what's going on and what they hear on this podcast, what's the best way to do that? Uh, use an email, rich at ag-financial dot com and then they can also find me at twitter at rich underscore possum right on make sure you check out that twitter feed there's lots of good stuff that comes out there on that and uh well rich it's been a great conversation as usual man i, I really enjoy these these conversations your wealth of knowledge and uh as you can tell you've got a got a lot of research going here so thanks for being on the podcast man Thank you. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. You can check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also go to the movingironllc.com website, and you can check out the uh, the latest pod podcasts as well as the uh, blogs that I've written. Uh, right now I'm working on the uh, the pillars of a ag sales equipment department and uh, getting ready to go into Pillar 2, so uh, check that out. Uh, hopefully I have this, something out here this week on that. Also check out Global Ag Network and the great podcasters there and uh, all the good information they have. Go to globalagnetwork.com. And uh, if you are in the auction, in, in, the, in the business of, of understanding what's going on in the, in the equipment business and you're, you're trying to figure out what's happening with the auction market, check out tractorzoom.com. A lot of great information there, a lot, a lot of great places to go look and, and get, that, uh, get that information that you're looking for in one concise spot. So until next time. I am Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. 
this year. Move.